Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Yeah, you weren't expecting that today, were you? Well, you got it. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Hope Elam. My name's John, one of the pastors here, and we want to welcome those of you here in the room as well as those worshiping online as well. Let it be known, henceforth, from this day forward, that this diehard, lifelong Hawkeye fan started his sermon like that. All you Cyclone fans, there you go, okay? You got it. Although it made me cringe, I just wanted to let that be known that this last two weeks there has been no bigger Iowa State fan than this guy right here. So I'm an equal opportunity employer uh, in that way. And, and the women, as I would say, women had an incredible season. The Iowa women had an incredible season. A lot to be thankful for. I don't know about you. How's your brackets going? Anybody still filling out your brackets? Have you given up a long time ago? Mine was shot after four hours, uh, a bracket... Uh, mostly because of these guys, the, the St. Peter Peacocks. You know that when they won the other day, it was National Peacock Day? I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I, I would have some sort of Catholic joke to blame it on the Catholics or something like that. I couldn't come up with one uh, as well. But it's fun uh, to fill out those brackets. My six-year-old daughter, Ev- I, I watch college basketball all year, probably more than anybody else. My six-year-old daughter, Evie, is winning our family bracket. Uh, she chose it on which name of which school is the most fun to say. And so she has Villanova because it's fun to say Villanova. She likes saying that. So she's winning our family bracket uh, right now. But of the many things that I love about March Madness and this time of year, whether you're a sports fan or not, whether you like basketball or not, is the undeniable upsets that happen. These David versus Goliath matchups where you have a small school like like St. Peter's University with an enrollment of 2,400 going up against these schools that have an enrollment of 60,000. I mean, it's just, it's, it's magical is what it is in, the, in these upsets and you never know what's going to happen. And so once in a while in that, you will hear an announcer say these words, it's a miracle that they won. It's a come-from-behind miracle that that team defeated this team. What a miracle. That's a powerful word when you think about it. We don't use that word all the time, but we use the word miracle to describe things for which there is no other explanation, right? There are things in sports, there's things in our lives that when you feel like the odds are against you, there's no way that a 15 seed is going to go to the Elite Eight. Maybe after today, the final four. You never know. There's a lot of Catholics on their knees praying for St. Peter's today, right? I might join them. I think it's a cool story. What do you do when the odds are against you? What do you do when you're down 15 with two minutes to go? And, and, and the victory is, is a long lost. You need an intervention. You need a miracle. And if we're honest, this is way bigger than sports, isn't it? The reason that I love March Madness, the reason that I love sports is because I think it speaks to a much larger illustration of what you and I experience in our lives. I'm guessing that somebody walked in here today and you need a victory. Somebody walked in here today and you're feeling defeated in a lot of different ways. 
You're, you're up against it. You're confused. You're wondering which path, which direction to take in your life. You feel so far away from victory. Maybe for you it's a health concern with a family or friend that just doesn't seem to resolve itself. Maybe it's a, you're looking at your finances, you're looking at your budget, and you just don't know how you're going to make it. For some of you, you need to come from behind victory in your marriage because the fire and the passion that was once there is gone. For some of you, you've been praying about something and, and you've just been longing and waiting for that breakthrough, for that victory, and no matter how long you've been praying, it just doesn't seem like victory is at hand. You need a miracle. We need a miracle. We need a touch from heaven. We need an intervention. We need God to intervene in our stories when there's things that are bigger than ours that we don't know how to handle. Another thing that I love that you hear announcers say in sports, and I love this phrase, is once in a while, there's a team that, that comes from behind and you thought the game was over and then little by little they chip away at that lead and all of a sudden the game's tied and you'll hear announcers say sometimes, it's not over till it's over, right? It's not over till it's over. And that is the truth today. The good news today is that we have a God who says, whatever you're up against, whatever obstacles you're facing, whatever setbacks, whatever uh, defeat mentality that you have, we have a God today that says, it's not over till it's over. We need a touch from God this morning, amen? And you've got it. If you've got your Bibles, yeah, absolutely. You can clap anytime. It's Hope Elam, people. Let, give God some praise this morning. You can clap anytime you want to. Praise God. Here's what I'd really love to happen sometime. I do my little intro to my sermon. I say, let's open to Mark 5. And everybody just goes, woo! Mark 5. So if we're going to cheer for anything, let's cheer for God's word. Amen? Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. You got your Bible app on your phone. Yeah, there we go. That was nice. Somebody was listening. That was, that was the highlight of my morning. That and the bacon. All right. Uh, Mark chapter 5. So if you haven't been around, if you're just getting caught up, we are in the middle of a sermon series called A Deeper Walk with Jesus. We've been following Jesus through some of these stories. And what I love about the story today is that it's so practical. It is so relevant for every single one of us. To set the stage in Mark chapter 5, we're going to start about verse 25. Jesus has just crossed over the Sea of Galilee. He's done a lot of healing. He's cast out demons. Uh, he, He's been busy. He's been healing people. And therefore, Jesus is gaining a celebrity status. The crowds are following him. They're all around him. And when Jesus gets to the other side of the lake, there's already a mob there waiting for him. Like, he can't get away from people. They are all around him. And there's such a big crowd that I don't know if you've ever been to, like, a big event at Wells Fargo Arena or something like that. And you're walking through the, the concourse trying to get out. And it is literally just elbow to elbow. Right? You ever felt that before? A shoulder to shoulder. And you're bumping up against people and you're kind of walking like a penguin because there's so many people. Or you're in a big crowd at the Iowa State Fair. And no matter where you move, you're going to bump into people. That's what the crowd was like that day. And so Jesus doesn't have any, you know, uh, secret service or anything like that. He's just an ordinary guy walking through the middle of this crowd with his disciples. And everybody's trying to get to Jesus, and that's where we pick up the story in verse 25. One of the faces in that crowd that day is a woman that has a condition of bleeding for the last 12 years. We don't know exactly what her condition is, but she's seen multiple doctors. And not only has it not gotten better, it's gotten worse. She's given everything that she had for that. And so she's got to think, it's over. I mean, I'm, I'm down 50 in the second half. It's, it's over. There, there's no comeback victory here. 
And for her, can you imagine how defeated she feels? Just put yourself in her shoes for a moment. I'm not just talking about the physical healing or the physical condition that she has, but I'm talking about the relational and social implications of that. When a woman would have a condition like this, she would be considered by society unclean, which means you don't touch, according to a very very narrow, legalistic view of the law at the time, if you are unclean, nobody touches you, meaning you're an outcast, probably by your family, Probably by your friends. You have nowhere to belong. Does anybody feel that this morning? I don't know if anybody sees me. I don't know if anybody understands me and what I'm going through. She is an outcast. Nobody even wants to get... Can you imagine not being hugged for 12 years? I mean, we thought it was difficult for maybe a year and a half during the the, the heat of the pandemic, right? You'd see people putting on plastic and holding the person in plastic or waving through a window. We just long to touch each other. Can you imagine not being held for 12 years at least? So the shame that this woman feels, she's an outcast. She, she, as far as she's concerned, her, her value and her, her worth, her dignity, her hope for a future is over. Unless she thought she could touch the miracle man. Because she didn't know that this rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus is showing up on the scene. And with Jesus, it's not over till it's over. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. You ever wonder why she did that? Why didn't she just come up and say, hey Jesus, I've got a condition. I'm here. Everybody else is running up to him. She uses the crowd to her advantage because if she calls out, she reveals herself. All of a sudden she's going to get kicked back out. Who knows what this religious man, Jesus, is going to do? Because the narrow view of the law also said that if an unclean person touched a clean person, they too would be defiled. And so you don't want to make yourself known. This is vulnerable. This is going to take a lot of courage. So she's using the mob of the crowd to her advantage that maybe if I can just touch his cloak, which was also a view, if I can touch a healer, a religious person's cloak, then maybe their healing power would transfer to me. And so she's trying to kind of go a little covert healing operation here. And she touches Jesus' robe. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And so as she touches the cloak, Jesus feels this healing power go out of his body. How? Because he's God. And so he asks, who touched me? Now think about it. You are in the concourse of Wells Fargo Arena with a thousand other people rubbing up against you. How many people have touched Jesus in the last five minutes? thousands. Most of us wouldn't think of it. And yet Jesus sees and knows this woman. She is one of his kids. And so when one of your kids pulls at your clothes, mom and dad, what do you do? You stop everything. I know there's thousands of people around here, but that daughter of mine needs help, and she's desperate. Now, if you're the disciples, you're like, Jesus, you got to be kidding me. Who touched you? Okay, should we take a survey of which one of the thousand people that was? Everybody touched you, Jesus, right? She said, oh, she's my daughter. Everybody touched you, but it was that one woman that Jesus was after. Jesus isn't just going to settle for a brush-by relationship. He starts seeking her out. He starts looking for her. You do know that you're not just a face in the crowd today. Some of you love to do that style of church, and trust me, I'm a raging introvert, and I want to do that too. 
I want to be a part of a church where I come and I slip in and I slip back out. Jesus isn't going to let you stay there. He doesn't want to brush by a relationship with you where you touch his garment. He's going to seek you out. He's going to pursue you because he wants to rewrite your story today. Just as he did for the bleeding woman. Right? It's not over till it's over. So when Jesus asks, the woman says, it was me. Do you understand the vulnerability in that statement? Do you understand how much courage that took for that woman to stand up in front of a crowd, to look a rabbi in the eyes and says, it was me. I know you have control over me in this society and you could probably do anything you want to me, but it was me because I'm desperate. And Jesus could have responded in a lot of different ways, but he has mercy and compassion. Verse 34, let's read it together nice and loud. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So much going on here. A story that was once about defeat is now a story about victory. Amen? A story that was once uh, about an illness and a condition, now she has a brand new life. Jesus just gave this woman her life back. I mean, you could say he raised her from the dead. Oh, I don't know. Jesus gives her not just her, her physical healing, but what does Jesus call her? A uh, woman that has an issue? How does Jesus address her? Daughter. Daughter of the king. I see you. Our, our identity, our name is so powerful. When somebody calls you by your name, it's powerful. When my mom says Jonathan, I know something's up, right? Names are powerful. They give us an identity. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't call her by her past. He doesn't label her by her condition. He labels her by her relationship to God. And when Jesus sees you this morning, he scopes you out. He finds you in the crowd. He's not going to let you settle for a brush-by relationship. And he says, you're my son and you're my daughter. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by what happened to you. You are not defined by some big giant label that some of you have stuck on yourselves. That I'm a has-been. That I'm a nobody. That I'm a mistake that I'm a failure, that I'm divorced, that I'm abused, whatever that label is that you put on yourself that you think is more important than the God who created you saying, I made you in my image. Here's the thing. This woman, you might think, oh, she went from unclean to clean. No, she didn't. She was clean the entire time. That's the label that society had put on her. She just forgot who she was, and you have too. Some of us have just forgotten who we are. And Jesus just needed, to be remind, just needed to remind her, you are my daughter. That's what defines you. You are my daughter. Jesus sought her out. This woman has a whole new life. There's, a, there's power in touch, isn't there? Touch is a, is a powerful thing. It's not even just a spiritual thing. It's just a human thing. It's what we were created for. It's, it's how we connect with each other on a deeper, deeper level. I mean, you want to get really practical? There are multiple scientific studies that, that human touch, the way that Jesus interacted with this woman, human touch reduces stress. It reduces the risk of heart disease. It can reduce your blood pressure. All these, all these incredible <laughs> effects. This is how Jesus 
put us together. There's power in the touch. That's why the pandemic has been so hard for so many people to not have that ability to touch. We were made to connect. We were made to give high fives. We were made to shake hands. And some of you are like, why do we do that cheesy, like, meet and greet time at the beginning? You know, like, hey, everybody stand up and give each other. I mean, is that just for the extroverts? Uh, And then all the introverts like me conveniently need to go to the bathroom at that time? Or, you know, I didn't make it in for the meet and greet. Darn it. You know, I guess I don't have to do that. Why do we have to do that? Because you're human. Because every single one of us was designed to be touched by God and other people. I'm not talking about creepy touch. I'm talking about the power of human interaction. Every single one of us was designed to be known, to get a a high five. Some of you, why is that such a big deal? We get letters or texts or emails from people all the time. Sometimes it's complaints and sometimes it's awesome stuff and we take all of that, we get that. But one of the things that we've heard a lot recently, one guy emailed me and said, I know some people may not like it, but I love the meet and greet time. You want to know why? He said this. That's the one high five that I get the whole week. And I look forward to that. (laughs) Another woman emailed us just this last week and said, one of my favorite things about Hope Elam is that I know every week when I walk through those doors, there's going to be a person with one of those blue shirts on. And they're going to have a smile on their face and they're going to shake my hand and they're going to welcome and say, I'm so glad that you're here. It makes me feel seen. God, who knows what else is going on in her life that week. If that's not a plug to join the hospitality team, folks, I don't know what is. Can I get an amen? Like, that's it. That's why we do what we do. Maybe God brought you to Hope Elam. Maybe God has you here not to consume a sermon for an hour a week, but to literally be the hands and feet of Jesus to be the only five high five or hug or handshake that somebody gets that week. That maybe I can be loved and seen and known in God's house better than anywhere else in my life. If you're going to feel it, if you're going to feel the love of God, I pray that we feel it here. Amen? Maybe that's why God brought you here. Every single person. It doesn't matter how you got here, (laughs) by bus or plane or train or drove your car or walked over here. Every single person that walks through those doors has inherent value and worth and dignity, even if you don't see it in yourself. Even if you don't love yourself, we love you. We love you. The God of the universe loves you. And uh, maybe that's what the woman that met Jesus felt that day, not just healed, but known. And he sees you and he wants to have a relationship with you today. But what we find is that this story of the bleeding woman is actually the middle of a healing sandwich, is what I call it. If you read these stories and just read them a verse at a time, you're going to miss it. If you read this entire section of Mark chapter 5, what you're going to find is that in the Gospel of Mark and in the other Gospel writers are purposely putting these stories together for a reason. You have to look at the context. They are telling you a story outside of the story. Textual criticism is what it's called, and when you look at it, not just story by story, but you look at it chapter by chapter, what you're going to find is that the healing of the bleeding woman is actually right in the middle of a two-part healing story in and of itself. What we find, go back up to verse 22, if you're following along. Back up to verse 42, we read that Jairus is the leader of a local synagogue in Capernaum. So he's a pretty important dude, and he comes to Jesus, and he falls at Jesus' feet. Verse 23. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. 
I'm a mess when one of my kids has a cold or the flu for a couple days. I mean, can you imagine the desperate? Jesus responds to desperation. Jesus responds to people that are at the end of their rope. Jesus responds to people that have nowhere else to turn. Jesus responds to women that are diving to touch the hem of his robe. Jesus responds to religious leaders that are willing to make a fool out of themselves in front of their congregation to say, I am an ordinary man and my daughter's dying. I'm a religious man and I don't have what it takes. Jesus, I'm desperate for you. Jesus responds to people that are brokenhearted. And if that's you this morning, write yourself into the story. That's you. That's you. Keep in mind that this is, when he does this, this is right before Jesus interacts and is interrupted by the bleeding woman. So don't miss this. Jesus was interrupted in the middle of his interruption. Okay? This story of Jesus healing Jairus' daughter is at the front end and the back end. It's a, it's a healing sandwich, but both of these could not be more similar. Both Jairus and both the bleeding woman need a comeback victory. They need to know that it's not over till it's over. They need a touch of God. Mark is doing this for a reason. Maybe there's a couple different people that are going to get raised back to life. So what does Jesus do? He goes with Jairus. He's on his way. He responds to the desperation. And then on his way is when he's touched by the woman. Okay? Jesus was interrupted in the middle of that. It was on his way. Jesus did more ministry on the way to doing ministry than anybody else. And maybe what you and I see as interruptions in our lives are actually divine opportunities that God's placed there all along. Maybe you never thought about it this way before. (laughs) Could it be that those little moments on the way to doing what you think are the big moments are actually what really matters? How many opportunities have you missed? How many holy moments? How many coworkers in need of prayer? How, many, how much laughter and giggles and questions by your kids have you missed? How many chances for prayer? How many chances for weekly worship has you, have you missed because you were on your way to do something that you thought was more important? Here's the thing. It's only an interruption if you thought your agenda was the point to begin with. So maybe what you and I see as interruptions is actually God saying, I've been here the whole time and I've just been asking you to wake up and join me in what I'm already doing in your life. Oh, I got interrupted there. I got interrupted. Actually, no, God was there. God was there. God was there. And he was just waiting for you to wake up and understand that he's been working and weaving this thread throughout your lives the entire time. So what does Jesus do? He goes with Jairus. He's interrupted. He's interrupted in the middle of his interruption. And eventually, word comes to Jairus that his daughter has now died. If you are Jairus, you're thinking game over. Like the final buzzer sound. She's dead. It's over with. (laughs) Jesus says, it's not over. Till it's over. You think death is won. (laughs) And Jesus finally arrives at Jairus' house and Watch what Jesus does. In these miracle stories, we love, we love the headline news. Jesus heals the bleeding woman. Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. But before we get there, there's a lot we can learn about how Jesus responds to grief and pain. Long before the miracle even happened, and this is so important. I'm going to teach for a little bit right now because some of us as Christians have a really hard time not being okay. A lot of us have a hard time with suffering. A lot of us have a hard time sitting and existing with somebody else's negative emotions and not trying to fix it and not trying to preach it away or chapter and verse it away. I'm not saying the word of God is not important. I'm, some, I'm just saying sometimes the most important thing we can do, the best Bible you can be for somebody is to be still with somebody and know that he is God. 
Sometimes we're called to say less and listen more. Jesus shows up on the scene. We'll get to that more in a little bit. And everybody is weeping and wailing. Jesus shows up on the scene, and the first thing that we know about how God meets us in our pain is it's personal. It's personal. What he's about to do with Jairus' daughter is completely different than he just did with the bleeding woman. I wish we knew her name because I'd like to call her by her name. She's not who she used to be in that. Number one, we know that Jesus is personal. All these miracles in the Gospel of Mark, the fascinating thing is that Jesus never does it the same way twice. And yet we get all wrapped up and looking around us about how God's working in somebody else's life. We say, oh, God must not be with me because he's not doing it that way. I don't raise my arms and worship like them. I don't pray like them. I don't worship like them. I'm not seeing the fruit and the transformation in my life that they have. So Jesus must not be there. Or Jesus is just on his way. Ask Jairus. Jesus is on his way and he's never late. Jesus is on his way. It's personal. The touch of God is unique on every single person. Some of us are missing the miracles that God is doing right in front of us because we're so busy comparing our testimony to everybody else's. We're so busy worried about how God's going to do it that way. And if I'm Jesus, I'm like, Jairus, bro, I'm coming to your house, man. It's about to go down. So don't be all bitter and don't get all worried that I stop for a little bit to heal this woman because I'm on the way. And the way I'm going to do it for you is not the same as I did it for them. I'm still writing your story, Jairus. I'm still writing your testimony. We're just right in the middle of it. You can't see the whole picture yet. I'm writing your story. This healing won't be like the last. So number one, healing is personal when you experience Jesus in your pain. Number two, he's a safe place. Look at verse 37. There's an entire crowd that's gathered around that's weeping and wailing. And they would hire weepers and wailers to come and make this huge commotion. And I love the the Greek here actually translates as Jesus threw them out. Jesus has some righteous anger about people not being able to grieve safely. Think about the very few times when Jesus' holy, righteous anger comes out. He's turning the tables over in the temple. And it's when parents can't grieve for their child that's died. Jesus could have showed up on the spot and said, stop crying, everybody. I'm God. I'm here to fix it. But instead, he creates a safe place. Jesus slows it down. He says, mom, dad, three disciples as witnesses, you're in with me to witness this. Everybody else, out. It says he literally threw them out. Jesus is passionate about compassion. Are you? Are you a safe place for people that are healing and hurting? Or do you just try to explain it away with answers for which there are none? We say things, oh, God needed them more than you did. Oh man, God will never give you anything more than you can handle. That's not true. It's not in the Bible and we need to stop saying it because life will give you way more than you can handle and that's why we need Jesus, amen? That's what it means to be a safe place. And so Jesus comes and he, he kicks them out. And, I, and what we don't know about the story is how long this encounter lasted. I would imagine Jesus just sat with mom and dad for a little bit and listened. Love what author Kerry Newhoff says. He puts it this way. If you listen longer than most people listen, you'll hear things most people never hear. Mainly, the voice of God in somebody else's life. 
people get all freaked out about being a prayer partner. People get all freaked out about, I would never pray out loud. What if it was never about you? What if it was never about me? What if it was about listening more than we talk so that we could hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to that person through you and you are a conduit of God's love? That's what it means to pray for somebody. I don't know what you've been taught about prayer. It is not a well-rehearsed speech. Sometimes the most holy, devout, deep prayer is, Jesus, help. I need you. Sometimes it's sitting with a mom and dad that their daughter just died. Sometimes it's being fully present with somebody. Jesus is passionate about compassion. And so... Jesus is a safe place, and now the plot thickens. Jesus goes in. He grabs the girl by the hand, and he says, Talitha Kaum, which is Aramaic for little girl, wake up. Little girl, wake up. You remember the story we just talked about with the bleeding woman? This is the second woman that just got her life back. Don't miss the way that Mark aligns these stories. This is the second resurrection story. This little girl physically just came back from the dead. The bleeding woman literally just came back from the dead. I mean, she was, she was down and out. It was over. But I don't want you to miss right before the miracle what happened in verse 41. Right before Jesus healed her, what did he do? Why does Mark put these little details in there? Jesus walked in and he did the thing. No, that's not what he said. What does Mark say? Jesus grabbed her by the hand. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus touches people nobody else touches. Jesus associates with people that nobody else associates with. Jesus talks with people and loves people and welcomes people into his family that nobody else does. That's the kind of Jesus that we have. And if we're going to be a church after Jesus' own heart, there is no person that is not welcome at Hope Elam. Amen? That's who we are. This is a no-no. You thought touching an unclean woman was taboo. Nobody touches a corpse. According to their view of the law, this is like skin. Jesus, I just love it when Jesus gets all rebellious. He just does his thing, doesn't even care. You and all your rules, you and all your laws, I'm here to bring life back to dead places, including you and your heart. And Jesus grabs this girl by the hand. He touches a dead corpse. And the only person that can do that is God. Because I'm about to kick death to the curb. I'm about to win this battle. And so I'm, I'm not only going to touch her, I'm going to lift her up. And the little girl stands up. And can you imagine the overwhelming feeling in her, in her parents? <laughs> There's power in touch. Jesus didn't have to do it that way, but I believe that he touched her. I believe he did it in that way to tell her and to tell you today, I'm never out of touch. Some of you feel so far away and so disconnected from God today, and I've got really good news for you. He never left. He's been there the entire time. I will never leave you or forsake you. And maybe you read stories like this and you think, well, that's cute, Pastor John. Thanks for sharing those Bible stories. But we all know that doesn't happen anymore. Sometimes we pick these sermon topics month in advance. We have no idea what God wants to do with it. And I was feeling a little down after the last service because like, man, I don't know, is anybody getting this? Some of y'all, you just need to smile at us once in a while. I just want to make sure you're, <laughs> you're with me. And just about to walk to breakfast and this couple comes up to me and she just has tears in her eyes. And she said, we just got back from Mayo. I've had a condition with blood for the last 10 years. And we went up to Mayo and the doctors can't explain it. It's gone. 
it's gone. There's two, there's two read ways to read the word of God. One is, ah, oh, that'll never happen. That's a book of exceptions. Or you can read it and say, this is what God wants to do for you in your life. This is what God is capable of. Where that kind of a church doesn't always happen that way. But if we're going to be fair, if we're going to be honest, not every story ends like that. And sometimes there are questions that have no answers this side of heaven. But if we learn anything from these stories is that long before the healing, Jesus was present in the hurting. And you can't miss that part. Because that's the crucible. That's the refining fire that Jesus wants to take you through. And sometimes even as Christians, we want to rush through the pain. But we're going to miss the depths of God's love that he has for us. And nobody knows that better than a couple named Joel and Jeannie Taylor. Some of the music that we do here is from a church in California called Bethel. And we borrow and shamelessly steal from a lot of different churches. And in the very near future, I'm just going to say this, we're going to write our own music. We're going we're to sing songs that we write here ourselves. But when God's word is going forth in music, we, we use those. And we use a lot of songs from Bethel. Well, Joel Taylor is not only the co-writer of a lot of these songs, but he's a producer of a lot of these songs. His job is to coordinate praise. And a couple years ago, he and his wife got the terrible news that their three-year-old son, Jackson, had been diagnosed with a very critical, very serious complications of E. coli, and his liver was starting to shut down. And uh, I want to introduce you to their story, and I want to introduce you to another couple that you're going to see. Jonathan and Melissa Helser are also Bethel artists who were inspired by Jackson's story to write a song that you're going to hear a little bit of. And I, I want you to pay attention to the way that God shows up in their pain, the way that God declares to his parents, much like this little girl, much like Jairus, Jesus declares, I'm never out of touch. Take a look. We got the news that he was in extremely serious condition, and it just went from worse to worse. In about a 12-hour time period, it, it went from he's just kind of had, had this little sick thing at home to life or death. All of a sudden, his speech starts to slur. He just started not being able to communicate, not being able to respond. In the middle of the night, they rushed us up to the PQ, and called the neurosurgeon in, they tested him, and there was no response. There was no pain response. There was no recognition of me. There's a time when you've said every prayer you can say, and you don't have the strength to praise and worship anymore. And you haven't slept for weeks. And you're just kind of undone. And that was a moment for me when I was undone. The flip side of that is, I feel like that was the moment that I really began to feel the prayers around the world. There was something supernatural that, that happened that brought the church together. I would pull up social media and I would just read people's prayers in the comments of people all over the world. I've never met them before, but they were 
just crying out for my son. We were in the brink of life or death and people would be posting comments on our Facebook. We are up praying for you. I remember the night we got the text that they didn't think he was gonna make it through the night. When you got the text, you just collapse into my arms and just like begin to weep. Those moments, even though they're really hard, something within us rises up. The only moments of trauma and intensity can actually call forth. In those moments for us, like the only option is like, we just have to worship. I remember standing at this crossroads and this giant of unbelief standing in front of me. Like it's, it's your prayers don't matter. Um, all these prayers don't matter. Like the Lord's not gonna hear it. This is gonna be like the other moments where you prayed with all your heart and then you buried your friend the next week. And, um, and it, but there was like something inside of me of like, no. And the melody just erupted out of my heart that um, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. He sent me a song and I don't know to what extent, but it said his, their community had prayed for Jackson and in a spontaneous moment, they came up with a song. And so they just you know recorded it and sent it to me. I took that song over my phone and I played over my son over and over again. You know, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. He started talking again. What did you just paint a picture of? You know, he was, you could tell it was, it was still like fragile, it was still coming back, but he was talking again and that was like amazing. We walked in to the hospital just before Christmas and now we're sitting here with a healthy son taking his nap right now. This is part of our story now and it's part of Jackson's testimony of his life that the world will know that miracles happen. Praise God, amen. <laughs> life is full of interruptions and how we respond to them makes a world of difference. And it doesn't matter if you're on the other side of that healing, if you're on the other side of those answered prayers, or right in the middle of it, in the not yet. And there's somebody here today that's living in the not yet. You're waiting for something. You're waiting for direction. You're waiting for healing. You're waiting for that diagnosis. You're waiting for a relationship to be mended. And you're in the not yet. And the last thing that you want to do is praise. I don't feel like coming to church today. I don't feel like lifting my hands right now. I don't feel like praying. And maybe you've discovered this too when you're in that refining fire. It's like Joel was saying on the video. When you're in those moments of desperation, if you've been there, when you've prayed all the prayers you can pray, when you're up against it, when you're down 12 with two minutes to go, it's the fourth quarter, and it feels like it's over, when you've prayed all that you can, it's in those moments in the valley when I believe that we experience God's love at a depth that we never have before. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. So why Jackson and not others? He's alive and well and bouncing around, probably six or seven years old today. Why Jackson and not the others? Why that bleeding woman and not the dozens of others? Why Jairus' daughter but not somebody else's daughter? 
Why this family member, but not your other family member? Why this friend, but not that friend? There are some questions that we will not know on this side of heaven, but I want to remind you that your testimony is still being written. And some of you want to rush to the end of it. And God says, we're not there yet. I'm on my way to your house, Jairus. I'm on the way. I just haven't gotten there yet, but I'm on the way. And it's not over till it's over. And with Jesus, it's never over. Amen? You need, you need a, a touch from heaven. And, and, and so we wonder why, why this person and not that. We get a big clue at the end of this story. If you go back to the very end of the story in verse 43, Jesus says, he, it says he gave strict orders not to let anybody know about this. You ever wondered about that? If I'm, if I'm one of Jesus' disciples, I'm like, what are you doing, man? You've been rocking it. You're making headline news, casting out demons, healing her, healing her. Jesus, capitalize on the PR opportunity, man. It's right here. Everybody could find out. And that's what you would do if your mission was to be the miracle man. But Jesus says, I have come to defeat enemies that are more powerful than even sickness or disease. I've come to defeat the enemies of sin and death and the power of hell. I've got a mission that's bigger than that. Because here's the thing. The little girl that Jesus raised, she grew up and she got old and she died. The bleeding woman that was healed, she got older and she died. Every disciple, everybody in the crowd that day, Jairus, his wife, everybody, they grew up and they died. You and I, we're going to die. The last I heard, the last statistics that I saw is the world death rate is holding steady at 100%. So Jesus says, I've got a bigger mission than that. Because there are something you cannot defeat on your own, and that is sin, and that is death. We're going to need a bigger victory than even healing. Yes, Jesus says, I want to give you glimpses of that. But Jesus says, that's why I'm going to the cross. That's why there's an empty grave. Because I'm going to win a permanent victory over sin and death and the power of hell and give you an eternal life now and forever. That's what I came to do. That's my mission. <laughs> That's the touch of heaven that we need the most. And that's why this miracle and every other miracle is pointing to the resurrection. Was it really about a woman that got cured from her bleeding? Was it really about this little girl that got raised to life? No, it's about you being raised to life. It's about Jesus looking at you this morning and saying, Talitha Kuum, wake up. Get up, my son. Get up, my daughter. Wake up. I want to have a relationship with you. Put your faith in Jesus Christ now and forever because what happens to me happens to you you and those that have been united in a death like his will certainly be united in a resurrection like his wake up Talitha Kuum now is the time to rise up my son my daughter Jesus says that's why I came and that's why we can have hope amen that's why we can sing as we did this morning there is hope in Jesus they're not just empty words it's our lifeline it's the only hope we have and that's why we can raise a hallelujah literally meaning praise you, praise him. That we can praise God even in, the, uh, even in the unfulfilled promises, even in the not yet. I raise the alleluia in the presence of my enemies in the valley. And we're going to do that this morning. Some of you walked in and you're like, why do we have sticky notes all over the stage? Is that your sermon outline, John? No, it is not. Why is there a whole bunch of sticky notes all over that cross? Why are there a bunch of uh, lines dropped in the chat? 
Because what we're going to do is we're going to give you the opportunity to do just that, is to raise your alleluia in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the storm. And so hopefully on your way in, you received a sticky note and some writing utensil for you and your family. If you didn't, just wave your hands. Ushers are in the back, and they can get you one. And what we're going to do is I'm just going to invite you while the band plays quietly a little bit here, is I want you to write down one of two things. I want you to write down either an answer to prayer, a name, a phrase, a word, or I want you to write down an unanswered prayer that you can raise in the middle of the storm and say, not yet, not yet, but Jesus is on the way. And I believe you, God, and I trust you, and I put my faith in you, even with the unfulfilled answer. I raise the alleluia, and so it could be an unanswered prayer. It could be an answered prayer. It could be a prayer. It could be a praise. Whatever it is, it's between you and God. Just write down a name, a phrase, a theme, whatever it is. If you're online, drop it in the chat right now. We'll be monitoring that, praying for you. And then what we're going to do is the band plays a little bit. I want to invite you, just when you're ready, to come forward and stick it up here amongst the hundreds of prayer requests that are powerful. I read them in between the services from the 9 o'clock service and bring it up and saying, Jesus, it's not about me. It's always been about you, and I'm laying this at your feet. As you come and you put your sticky note on the stage, just consider it diving for his garment. And know that as you do, you are not an anonymous person with a prayer request today. He sees you and he knows you. For those of you in the balcony, do the same thing up there. There's an altar behind you that's already covered in sticky notes. You can see it up there. Just plaster it. God can handle all of it. Put it on the altar. Put it on the cross up there. And I want you to know these sticky notes aren't going to stay here. We continue to do some remodeling around here and our uh, operations director, Mike, told me this week we have a giant hole in our wall in the lobby. And I said, oh, goody, because here's what we're going to do. We're going to take all of your prayers and all of your praise, and we're going to stuff them in that hole, and we're going to cover it with drywall, and there's going to be the prayers of the people literally holding up the walls of this church. Amen? That's what we're going to do. So now is your opportunity to build this house on prayer, to literally be a part of the walls of this church. So the band's going to play for a little bit. Take your time. And when you're ready, bring it to the cross up there. Drop it online. Bring it up here to the stage. And then circle back and join us and stand together as we worship together. Let's raise an alleluia in the middle, in the middle of the mess. Amen? Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.